everybody. Welcome to the Designated Drummer Podcast. This is Keach Rainwater, and I am up here in Canada visiting my daughter, and uh, her name's Amelie. And although she is not with me on the podcast right now, she was last time I was up here, but um, she is doing some schoolwork right now, online, summer school kind of thing, so she can get, um, you know, ready for the next year. She'll be in 11th grade next year, and I'm really proud of her. And, uh, but she's not here with me. She, uh, co-hosting right now, she's doing her schoolwork. So anyway, um, here we are. And I am just going to read through some questions that I've gotten recently from, uh, students and from listeners and from friends and, um, that kind of thing. I have got a bunch of questions to answer here. I I don't know how I haven't counted them all, but there are, um, quite a few here. And uh, I will start things off here with uh, from Brooke. She's a drummer and bass player in a band, and I believe she is out of uh, Boulder, Colorado. She's, I don't know the name of her band, but anyway, she sent me a question. She says, I'm curious what the best methods are for learning and improving drum fills. And uh, so, okay, here's my answer to that is I would – invest in a good drum machine or you know you could just turn on your phone and get an app that's a drum machine app that would work great and set a beats per minute on there with just a simple beat um i think i'm trying to think of i think that the one that i use is called launchpad it's a app called launchpad and it's a great little drum machine you can just punch in different beats and add different things to it percussion and all that stuff it can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be and with subdivisions and all that stuff and uh, even like uh, melody parts and things like that if you're trying to create a loop for something you're working on that's a good one so i will use that sometimes i'll just push the first little drum button and that just gives me a simple uh, groove kind of thing and you can set the beats per minute on there and so to work on your improving drum fills, that kind of thing. Um, I would set the beats per minute to something simple like 100 beats per minute or something kind of relatively slow um, and play along with, you know, play along with your your drum machine and play a simple beat and add drum fills in listening to that drum machine and trying to keep your drum fills simple and uh, effective in that part of the song and not to go too crazy it needs to serve the song is what i always say so if if it's a song that you're recording and it's new and you you're just making it up at the time or if it's something that you have heard on the radio that you're trying to emulate you're going to do like a uh you know you're going to do a song that you've heard and you're going to recreate it live then listen to what the fills are and practice them with that drum machine slow it first if you need to and then work your way up to whatever the tempo is of the song and uh, I've got my little keyboard set up here, um, so you can, I can sort of, I've got, I'm in GarageBand here, so I can just, um, you know, play some different beats for you and some examples and things. So, um, so, okay, so if I was to do a drum fill that was a simple one and I needed to work, that went like, um, like that, I would start out real slow with the drum beats per minute, like, um. And then maybe speed it up a little bit and get like, like I keep hitting the cymbal there. 
and just practice that drum feel. Or if it's just simple, it's like, or just, you just practice it slow, like just like anything, and you increase your speed and your effectiveness. And you don't. The one of the problems with fills is, is a lot of drummers tend to speed up a little bit when they play a fill, and that's that uh, people that are sort of starting out. And if you're playing with that click track and you're following it really good, and you you practice your fill, and you come back around and you play the beat again, and you do the fill again, and you just keep practicing that, your muscle memory will definitely serve you there and and your your muscles will know where to go when you start playing it for real and then when you're rehearsing the song and you're doing the fill then you can you can add that in and with confidence because you've done it a lot okay so um here's another question from brooke how do you make a basic beat more creative and interesting that's a good one um so you're talking about creating a beat maybe something original that you're making up for, say, a song that you're working on or you're co-writing or something like that, or you're just trying to make up beats. A lot of drummers, I do that a lot. I'll sit down and try to come up with a beat that is unique, that sounds different. Hey, everybody. So to make a simple beat a little bit more complicated or a little bit more syncopated, you would start out slow with just a regular, simple beat like... like that and then maybe just get that down with maybe a metronome if you're playing along with it you don't have to but but um start out with that simple beat and then you can start adding things little by little to that you're comfortable with so if it's like um you could like that one right there so you would just kind of um and then you know you could um could just kind of get a little bit more fancy a little more fancy and keep maybe uh practicing opening the hi-hat at a different place or try um adding a floor tom or something into the beat just until it feels like you've hit something that kind of sounds cool you know and you just keep experimenting with that and then i think that you'll you'll like the outcome if you just keep practicing that make that part of your everyday practice you practice um, rudiments and you practice fills and then for a little while practice beats just you know just work on beats just kind of pick a beats per minute put the little drum machine on and play along with it start out simple and just add some interesting creative uh, little spins on it you know but but keeping good time and also playing with with some intensity like like very intentional like like you're very uh, you mean to do what you're doing you know like hit it hard. Don't be afraid to hit it hard. Like you, like you have purpose. So uh, the next question is uh, from Brooke. Here is what are good tips on how to build up? And I think what she meant by build up was to build up, like in a song. Like if you have a song that needs a big build, and it'd be like, um, so like, um, so a lot of times a good build would just be a simple um, floor tom and snare, where you start out soft and you have some dynamics, like. And you build into the song. That's the best way. And then sometimes um, it can be um, 
the build with the with the fill added onto the end of it. If it's like a long fill, it'd be like. You know, like that. So you would start out with a build. That's the best way to build is to, um, you know, is to just, um, is just intensity and just a simple fill. Sometimes those are the best. And that's how, you, that's the best way to build up to a song. And then, of course, listen to what the other instruments are doing and try and kind of fit what they're doing. And if they're, if it's a guitar player going down, 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 like that, you know, and they're building up, you want to build up with them. You want to kind of join the party and, uh, and, and, and lead them into the, whatever it is, chorus or bridge or whatever you're building into, you want to, uh, join them and lead them into it, you know, be a, be the leader. Uh, so the next question from Brooke is, she sent me a bunch here. So, um, no problem. Brooke, I'm glad to answer your questions, as many as you got. Uh, what are your favorite sticking patterns or beats in general? Hmm. One of my favorites sticking patterns is uh, the beat for 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by um, Paul Simon. And I don't know if I could play it on my keyboard here, but it's the one that goes... That's that one, you know, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. That's a really cool one. And it's a very interesting way that, that uh, Steve Gadd had sticked that, the way he did the sticking on it. It was uh, very interesting, and that's one of my favorite ones. And I, I saw a video on YouTube about how, and I think it's him actually a long time ago explaining, and I think that was 1976, explaining how he played that and how he did the hi-hat and that kind of thing on there and he it's he himself explaining how you play it i thought that was really cool and so ever since i saw him do that i went ah okay i get it i, I had been doing it wrong all that time but it's really interesting the way he closes the hi-hat and uses the stick and the closing of the hi-hat to and along with the snare and the kick drum and the floor tom and all that very interesting thing um that's one of my favorites also uh one of the first beats that i ever remember that was not a standard, you know, two four, you know, I mean, uh, standard four four, you know, beat for a probably 14, 13, 14 year old kid at the time was um, Baby Come Back by Ambrosia. Or I'm sorry, by Player. I think it was a band called Player. And that one, let me see if I can figure out what I'm doing here. It's It went like this. song and that was i remember being able to play that when i was just a teenager and 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 hearing that on the radio and going oh yeah i could do that i know i could do it i could the kick drum does this and the snare does that and the hi-hat keeps time and i always knew i could play that and and the first time i ever got on a set of drums that was one of the first things i played pretty cool Uh, that was one of my favorite um beats that i really like sticking patterns um there's a lot of them. There's a lot of things like that. Now, one pattern that I like to do when we play our song called Coming Home is I do this little thing on the hi-hat where I just play, you know, a straight roll, just like really fast um, with the sticks. And I stick that in the middle of a just a regular mid-tempo beat. And Brad, our steel player, and Robbie, our bass player, look over at me all the time with a big smile on their face because they like, they like when I'm doing that it's it's really really fast thing it's like uh 
I don't know. I can't really do it on the keyboard, but but anyway, that's one of my favorite um, sticking patterns that I really like that I sort of made up that I added into our song uh, "Coming Home." That's one of my favorite ones. Also, let's see. Here's another question from Brooke. Uh, I also am curious if you have any suggestions on how to gain limb independence with the left foot. I have a lot of trouble with the left foot. Okay, so Brooke is having some trouble with her left foot, trying to get her left foot to play nice with everything else. And that that's kind of a thing. Yeah, that's something that I believe you can develop. I think that you can develop that if you just work at it and practice. And uh, one good way to do that is here's an exercise you can try, Brooke, and that is to play a straight beat, but instead of sticking the hi-hat with your right hand, or if you're right-handed, left-handed, your leading hand, instead of playing eighth notes on the hi-hat with your stick, try it with your foot, where your foot's just going, so this would be your foot right here, like that, that's, say that's your foot, um, and you're just playing a beat, so instead of your stick going, Try with your left your left foot closing the hi-hat and playing that beat like that will kind of do a couple of things it'll get your it'll wake up that muscle in your left foot and say come on get with it you know we're, we're gonna we're gonna need you here so you're waking up the muscle and getting that muscle memory but you're also just developing the the feeling of like using that foot more and more so it's kind of it's waking it up and it's kind of getting it into the game a little bit more so then when you start playing uh, beats with a hi-hat you can start doing more things with that like i say if you go to the ride cymbal and you're playing a beat and it's like someone's doing a big solo or something like that like a guitar solo and you go to the ride cymbal on that you can um do some different things with your left foot to add to that so it almost sounds like another drummer's another percussionist is playing and you're just basically you're closing your left your left foot you're closing the hi-hat and incorporating a little bit more into that beat so that's one the way you can gain a little bit of uh, independence with the left foot and uh, also just play when you practice normal beats just try and uh, try and incorporate the left foot in there and just do it just just overdo a little bit kind of go a little overkill on it practice for a long time with your left foot and just like ridiculous like 30 minutes straight playing one beat with just your left foot and you're 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 playing the kick drum with your right and instead of sticking the hi-hat you're just playing it with your left foot and just do that and just do that so ridiculously long that you're sick of it so that that the next time you go back to play again that foot your left foot's going to be more into the game it's going to be used to being utilized so there you go okay this one's from joseph what's the best way to put a band together rehearse and get paying gigs Okay, well, that's a good question because a lot of people, they just don't, you know, they want to put a band together, but they just, they have a couple of friends or something like that, but um, they don't really know how to get it together and and get gigs and that kind of stuff. So the best thing I could tell you is look for the best musicians you can and not just good players. Like, don't go out and try and find the smoking hot players that are the best at what they do and all that kind of stuff. Because sometimes those people, some of them are okay to get along with, but some of them you find out later you've got a great band together and you turn it turns out that some of the some of the people in that band are don't get along very well or they're they kind of got an attitude or something. So number one thing is 
find some people that have like-minded music. Like, uh, so in other words, if you're a country band, you want to put together a country band and you're a country singer or country writer, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you want to put a country band together, don't go and get a guy that plays heavy metal guitar. And that's what he's into because first of all, he's not going to be happy there and he or she, uh, and, uh, second of all, she's going to probably not be there that long and not want to play the kind of music that you're playing and not be able to play it because country music, you know, certain genres of music are difficult enough in themselves to play that not everybody can play each genre. You know, it takes a really special musician to be able to switch from heavy metal back to country to playing jazz and kind of stuff. So you've got to figure out what kind of band you're going to be. Let's say if it's a, a rock band, you got to find a good, you're a drummer, let's say, you got to find a good bass player that likes the kind of music that you're proposing to do and is cool with that. You know, maybe show them a set list, write out a fictitious set list of how you see the a gig going or as you see uh, the first set going of your first gig, let's say. You just write out a set list just to get things started of your songs that you want to work up and you show that to them. And say, this is the kind of thing I want to do. And maybe discuss what the places you want to play are. If it's going to be clubs or if you want to open up for people. Or if you want to play uh, like a civic center kind of thing. If you want to stick to that. But a lot of times in the beginning, you just kind of take what you can get. Just to get the band together tight playing. Because obviously the more gigs you play together out there, the the tighter the band's going to be. And, I, and you know, it's a weird thing about rehearsing versus playing live. Um, you know, you can rehearse for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks until you get in front of people playing your music where you don't have that crutch, you know, of like, oh, wait, let's stop and start over again. I forgot how this went. Um, you get out there in front of live people. You can't do that. You don't have that comfort zone anymore. And you are actually playing. You're putting on a show. There's that aspect of it, of, of actually being in front of people and you know, dressing up nice or whatever and putting on your show, moving around on stage, which you sometimes wouldn't do during a rehearsal unless it's like a dress rehearsal or something and you're you're putting it all together and you want to do a dress rehearsal. And it's like, okay, let's see what this thing looks like on stage. Uh, but normally rehearsals and actual playing gigs are actually totally different in the way that you, you know, the way it comes off. The, you might be a little more nervous in front of people, that kind of thing. But until you can play some live gigs as a band, uh, it's really difficult to gauge how that's going to sound live in front of a bunch of people. So uh, try to get in front of as many people as you can once you've put your band together and you've got all the right players that you want. Rehearse vocals. Do have vocal rehearsals, which could be separate from the musical rehearsals. Let's say the drummer uh, is not a singer or the bass player doesn't sing. Uh, call a rehearsal separate. That's just a vocal rehearsal, so you're not wasting somebody's time. They're not just sitting there not doing anything. Uh, have vocal rehearsals and have uh, times that you get together and work on full band songs, including vocals and everything. And uh, try to get one set list put together, at least. And if you have a gig coming up, figure out how many sets you're supposed to play, write out those set lists, and start learning those songs. In, in my memory, it seemed like bands that would come together to do gigs at clubs and things like that. They were expected to play. We, we played from like nine o'clock at night until about two in the morning. And that was, I remember it being about five sets, five to six sets. And they were like 45 minutes each with a little 15 minute break or something like that. 
And that was, it seemed to me, if I remember right, that was about 40 songs. You could learn 40 songs and go play in a club, like at a, in a nightclub from 9 till 2 in the morning, if you had 40 songs. And then, of course, you could start increasing from there. You know, you could start throwing away songs that you that don't get a good crowd reaction and replace them with better ones. But at least in the very beginning, try to learn about 30 to 40 songs, if you can, and throw in a couple originals. If it's one you've written and you want to try out in front of people, then that's cool. But when you're in, starting out in the very beginning and you're just a cover band, then, then it, uh, I would limit the number of original songs. Unless you're just a totally original band and you're opening for somebody and you're just going to be doing your songs, then it's totally cool to play your songs, all original songs, depending on how long the set list is going to be. But a lot of times you're going to want to learn, you're going to want to work up some cover songs because you're not going to have like a ton of original songs ready to go when you're opening for somebody. You may do three or four original songs and then play a couple of cover songs just to keep the crowd interested and, you know, hearing things that they're used to hearing, that kind of thing. Until you get a little further along in your career, then you can start playing all originals and that kind of thing. But, but yeah, it's tough putting a band together, rehearsing and getting paying gigs. Uh, but the best way to do it is to put together a little demo tape of your band, of your band in re- in the rehearsal situation, set up some microphones or go into a studio or something. It's a lot easier now than it used to be. When I started out, you had to have money and you had to go into a studio and they didn't have things like, you know, garage band and little digital recorders and stuff like that. You, somebody had to have a, a studio or access to a studio and you had to be able to go in and play. And, um... You know, we tried putting together a couple demo tapes with just a cheap, you know, just a cassette thing or something, and those really never sounded very good. So try to get some good-sounding microphones and have somebody that knows what they're doing, engineer it, and put together a good demo tape of like maybe three or four songs And because you don't want to give somebody a whole bunch of songs to listen to. No one's going to have that kind of time. So three songs is usually good. A, a up-tempo one, a, a mid-tempo, and a ballad or something like that. that. That covers the whole spectrum of what they're expected to hear from your band and the style and what the vocals sound like and all that. So, uh, yeah. And uh, one other thing is make sure that whoever's singing really has a great voice. You know, you don't want to put a band together with somebody that just kind of sings okay or they, they sing sharp or they sing flat or something like that. You got to make sure that your vocalist is connecting with the audience and not sort of um, hurting their ears. So that's that's kind of goes without saying, I think. Okay, so the next question is from Craig. What's the best tom sizes? What are the best tom sizes and configuration for your drums? Okay, so Here's my answer. I'll give you a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is it depends on what kind of music you're playing. If you're playing jazz and that kind of thing, then maybe some higher, smaller toms might sound pretty good. And a lot of times in jazz music, they, they're they smaller drums and they tune them tighter. So the toms are kind of like boom, doom, doom. Whereas if it was rock and roll, they would be sort of more beefy and like lower end and like, you know, like thunder. Um, so it depends on the kind of music you're doing. Jazz, I would say, a, a couple of high toms and maybe a good floor tom. Um, and if you're doing country, then you could kind of mix it up. You could have like one high tom and one maybe 13 inch and maybe one 16, like a say a 12 of 13 and a 16 or something like that would for country. Um, that's a good 
way to go. Now, if you're doing rock and roll, then I would probably go with probably like a uh, 13-inch tom, a 14-inch, and a floor, or maybe a 13-inch tom and two floor toms, like a 16-inch and an 18-inch, because the bigger, they're going to, those songs are going to sound pretty big. You're going to want them to sound thunderous, those toms. So lower, bigger, louder toms kind of thing for rock and roll. That kind of goes without saying. But uh, that's definitely my short answer for that is uh, depends on the kind of music that you're going to do. And it depends on, uh, you know, it, it it definitely depends on, you know, what the band is like and the kind of music you're doing and that kind of thing. Uh, what genre you're in as to what toms you're going to use. Um, okay, so the next question here is um, from Evan. And he asks... Uh, are wood tips better than nylon tips in sticks, like drumsticks? Okay, um, here's my answer on wood and nylon. I personally use 5B nylon. 5B is not crazy big. They're not what I call baseball bats. I used to play 2B sticks, and 2Bs were really big, big sticks, and I was cracking cymbals, and I was beating up the drum heads pretty heavy, and the stage volume was just way too much and so i i scaled back a little bit in the late 80s and early 90s i went to 5b which i could still get a good stick sound you know when i hit the side stick and i chose nylon because i like the way uh, the band i was in at the time had a couple of songs with that were ballads and i liked the way that the nylon tips would hit the ride cymbal and the hi-hat. They would just seem like they had a little bit crisper high-end on them. And another reason why I like nylon tips is because of the durability. When I, I play pretty hard, so if I were to play wooden tip sticks, which I, I have before, my experience is what, is what happened was is that the tip of the stick would sort of chip apart, and I would end up with, no tip at all basically they would all chip apart and it would just be like a point and i got a real hard time i had a real hard time hearing the ride cymbal and that kind of thing with wooden tipped sticks that were kind of beat up and chipped and that kind of thing so i noticed that nylon tips were a little more durable now not to say that nylon tips are 100 percent perfect they tend to crack and fall off but i will say a lot less often than wooden tips and also another thing that I thought about was when I play a side stick, I have a thing where I hold it in my hand and I drop the sides, I drop the stick across the, the, the drum and it, and I kind of let go of it for a second, but I hold it with the edge of my hand. In other words, I don't lay my hand down on the snare drum and pop the side stick. I, I, I balance the end of the stick on the, the drum and hold it up with my hand and then I drop the whole thing down. So it lets the drum kind of ring a little bit like and it just gets sounds more of a uh, it's a louder stick sound. And the reason I do that is because the sound man, I'm a hard snare hitter. I hit the snare really hard. So if I don't hit the side stick hard too, then he's going to have to ride the fader or you're not going to be able to hear the stick, the side stick, because I hit the snare so hard. And he sets the volume for the, the loud snare uh, a certain way. And then when I go to the stick, it would be so quiet you wouldn't be able to hear it. So I tend to hit the snare hard and I hit the side stick hard. So it gives the sound man less work to do, you know, if that makes sense. And one of the, and along with that same reasoning, 
the nylon tip on the stick adds a little more weight to it. So it gives it a little bit more uh, gravity to pull that stick down and get a good sound. I don't have to put as much work into it. So the, st- the nylon tip just adds a little bit more weight to it. Not, not a lot. They're pretty lightweight, but I'm talking just tiny little fractions of an ounce of coming down on that rim like that, doing a side stick. Just makes it sound better. Um, okay, next question is, Marcellus asks, what's the best brand of drums to buy? And uh, I have two favorite brands that I like. And I have... Uh, two different kits that I play. One is in the studio. I play Yamaha Recording Custom uh, Series, and they're kind of like an early 80s vintage. I think they're early 80s to mid-80s, something like that, I think, uh, that year. Um, for some reason, they've just really made well back then. They're, they're still made well now, but I just prefer that vintage Yamaha Recording Custom. And, and it's... I. For on both of the kits, whether whether studio or live, I my tom configuration is about the same: a 13-inch first tom, a 14-inch second tom, and a 16-inch floor tom. That's my favorite configuration for what we do, for what I do. Um, but I really like Yamaha drums. I think they make great live kits, and they make great studio kits. I know if I'm ever playing uh, a fly date, which I don't get to bring my own drums, I have to. They have to rent them, and then they have to do what's called backline. And that's basically where our, our um, production manager will uh, talk to a rental company, and he'll tell them what we want, which is either DW or Yamaha, and they'll bring a kit out. And if I ever see Yamaha, I'm always happy, you know, Yamaha or DW. I like DW kits for live. Um, they have really great hardware, DW. As a matter of fact, the kit that I have now that I play live on stage – is a kind of a custom kit. It's half Yamaha and half Mapex. I used to endorse Mapex years ago, and I really like their drums. I've always liked Mapex. So I had some Mapex drums that needed to be refinished. Uh, the coating had faded on them or something. Um, I can't remember if it oxidized or if it just like, I can't remember what why the Tom faded, but it just faded a little bit. And I was going to have them custom painted, so I had them I thought, well, if I'm going to have them custom painted, I can put probably one of my favorite drums on that kit, which is a 13-inch Tom, Yamaha, a Yamaha 13-inch first Tom. The depth of it, the sound, the you know, the, the birch. I think it's made out of birch. I really like the sound of that 13-inch Tom that Yamaha has. So I found one on eBay, and I put that on there. So that's my favorite uh, Tom, like Tom in the kit is that 13-inch and then I have a Mapex 14-inch tom and then another Yamaha floor tom. So it's – and the kick drum and the snare are both Mapex. So it's kind of, I call it my Yamapex kit. There, it's like a hybrid mix between the two Yamaha. And and the hardware on that kit is almost all DW because I really like DW hardware a lot. I like the way it's designed. I like the way how durable it is. So it's Yamaha, Mapex, and DW. Those are my favorite kits to – either combine or play. If, if I have either one of those, I'm a happy drummer. So that answers that question. So the next question here is uh, from, let's see, uh, James. He says, he asks, uh, double bass or single kick drum? One, one kick drum or two? Um, okay, so I'll talk about that a little bit. I used to play double bass back in 
the 80s. I was in a couple of rock bands. And um, it was kind of a thing, you know, like when you had double bass. And I liked it. I liked having double bass. Um, but then I got to where I could, you know, besides the obvious, um, which I hear a lot of drummers do in their either in their solo or at the end of a song or whatever, where they just go with both kick drums that did go do like let me see if I can go here. See it. So it's like uh that kind of thing, you know. And a lot of times they'll do a solo where it's just like um that kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, to me that's just not my drum solo. That's not what I do. But it seems like every drummer I've ever heard does that thing with a kick drum. So if you take that out that out of the mix and the fact that you're, I'm playing in a country band and there's not a lot of double bass licks. Even if I was playing in a rock band, I just wouldn't need to, you know, do the, do that a, a very much. Um, so that being said, I did notice a long time ago when I did have two kick drums is that when you add another kick drum to your kit, think of the implications of all that that you're doing. Number one, the size of the the drum itself, the case and all that, like in your wherever you're storing them or you're hauling them in the trailer or in a, uh, you know, in a truck or bus or wherever in a car, wherever you're hauling that, that bass drum is the biggest drum. So now you're just adding a whole nother one, a whole nother bass drum in a case. It's another case you have to buy, another kick drum pedal that you have to have and maintain uh, that could break or go wrong or whatever. Um, and it doesn't stop there. Another head you have to put on there, which kick drum heads are, are not cheap. Um, another microphone, another microphone stand, another cord, another channel on the snake, another channel on the board, another EQ. It just goes on and on and on and on when you just add one kick drum. So that's my take on that. I don't need a double bass set. And I don't even need a double pedal because, like, I'm not even doing those those little licks. If I want to do a double bass sounding lick, I'll just use the floor tom. I'll um I'll do like uh, two two hits on the kick and then one on the floor tom. Like uh, I'll just go like that. Like uh, let's see if I can do it here. Instead of. To me, they sound similar. So if I need to do kind of a double bass thing like that, I'll just use the floor tom. It's deep enough, and it almost sounds like a bass drum in itself. And if it's mic'd right, you can kind of get that sound. So that's my thing. Um, if you are doing licks and it's a like a heavy metal thing or you need uh, double bass, I would say, yeah, definitely go for the double bass. And there's some really neat things that you can do with double bass. I like what Tommy Aldridge, he's my favorite double bass drummer. Tommy Aldridge, who played with uh, Pat Travers and White Snake and all that for years and years, uh, he's one of my favorite double bass drummers because he doesn't just do that, you know, thing all the time. He does some really, really cool uh, double bass things with his with his solo and with the stuff that he plays. Very, very well accomplished double bass drummer, and I think he's even got a videotape out that he's had for years on a double bass workout kind of thing, like how to develop better your double bass things. And he has a lot of cool things to say about that and exercises and things that you can do. Like one of the exercises that he has for developing your left bass drum foot is to play beats only using your left foot. Like let your right foot take a break and just play the beat with your left foot. 
but your right hand. Play right-handed, but left with your left foot, and try to get fancy as fancy as you can with that, and that'll kind of wake that foot up a little bit. And then when you go to start doing double bass licks, you're you've developed that muscle a little bit. So anyway, that's my take on the double bass or single kick drum thing. I prefer the single; it's just a lot easier to haul around. It's more practical. It's less expensive, and it's less things to have to keep up with. So uh, there you go. And when you're on the road and you're touring and that kind of thing, and things break and things get wet and things, uh, you know, the crew's having to haul these things around, it's just a little kinder on everybody to just have one bass drum. That's just my opinion. Okay, so on to the next one. Uh, This is from Elliot. He says, I noticed plexiglass in front of your cymbals. Why is that? And you must be talking about the round plexiglass shields that we put on cymbal stands up in front of the cymbals. And the reason for that is, you know, years ago, we used to have a full plexiglass shield that went all the way across the kit. And it was about four feet high. It was a four by eight sheet of plexiglass. And they used to sell those that would hinge together and they would fold up and put in this huge thing, this huge case um, uh, that you could carry around with you and then you would take it out and you could unfold it and it would hold itself up and all that. We had that for a while and then it would always get scratched and that kind of thing. And then we, when we had a big diesel truck, a big diesel rig, we had uh, more space. And so we developed a steel frame that was in a curve shape and you could buy cheap, uh, inexpensive, thin, like eighth inch thick or whatever, plexiglass and just slide it into that frame and it made a curved that was my favorite probably plexiglass it made a curved shield that went all the way across the drums eight feet across and it and the problem with that was is that it it made the stage volume so low that nobody could hear what i was either saying if we were like at sound check or something i couldn't hear what anybody was saying and nobody could hear me and it became as the stages got larger and larger as we were doing like in 2000 and 2001 when we were doing these big arenas and stuff, huge stages. And I would just be back there, you know, you couldn't hear the drums that well. You had to really crank it up in in your ear monitors or in your wedge. And I think that since then we've kind of like a little bit of stage volume. I know it's not, you don't want to go crazy with it. And one of the biggest things are the cymbals. So we thought, well, what if we just put, I think we saw a band that had those round ones up there. We tried square for a while, but trying to mount them a square on a on a cymbal stand or, or on a, some clamps or trying to clamp it, it just took so much hardware to put those things up, it, it just putting small pieces of plexiglass up. So we saw this band play that had these round plexiglass uh, uh, shields that had a hole in the middle, and you just mounted it on a cymbal stand and turned it sideways to where it was uh, it was up vertical, you know, in front of the cymbal. And I thought that was the easiest thing to do, to keep up with. You could just put those round plexiglass shields in a giant, uh, they do make a 24-inch cymbal bag that I bought, and you can put those things in there, and I just wrap them up in some towels. I have my, my drum tech wrap them up in some towels so they don't get scratched, and then every day he puts them up just like cymbals. And what you have to do is you have to figure out where the vocal mics are out front, uh, like your guitar player's vocal mic and the lead singer's vocal mic, who were both on sort of my side of the stage there, um, the lead singer being in the middle. And you sort of get a line of sight from the cymbal 
to where that mic is and you just put the plexiglass in between and it keeps the stage volume well not the stage volume but it keeps the the volume of the cymbal from traveling into the vocal mic and it being basically if the singer or guitar player steps away from their mic they're basically just hearing cymbals if you think about it if i'm close enough if i'm not that far away it's just it becomes like a cymbal mic so if you put the plexiglass on there then it definitely keeps the sound away from those mics and it kind of keeps the stage volume down just a little bit and in my opinion i think that it kind of helps the sound of the cymbal mic too because when you're hitting that cymbal it's it's reflecting off of the plexiglass just a little bit and getting back into the mic so he doesn't have to gain those mics up so high i mean it just kind of gets a better like almost like a little studio like it's a little cymbal studio like he can actually get a little bit better sound out of there so uh so i hope that answers that question what those symbols and those plexiglass if you're interested in getting it i had to go to a plastics company i haven't found anybody that sells them maybe now they they do but back then they're really wasn't very much of an option that you could find that made them there might have been somebody but i couldn't find who they were uh so i just went to a plastics company up in gallatin where i live and uh he was able to I, I told him what size i wanted and what thickness and what kind of plexiglass i wanted that scratch resistant stuff and he had a jig that he made that could cut circles and he was the only one in nashville that could that had at the time a couple of years ago that could do that that could cut a circle a perfect circle like that out of a piece of plexic plexiglass and i think he had some kind of a cnc machine or something that did it and it cut a perfect circle and put this the hole right in the center of that thing so it balanced really well so i had those made and i think they were a hundred dollars each or something like that well worth the cost easy to haul around easy to set up and it definitely lets you have stage volume as a drummer without choking off the whole sound of the kit but keeps those cymbals out of the vocal mics so that solved that problem um okay so the next question i have here is um oh and by the way if any of you have questions um look me up on uh instagram or facebook or whatever um i think you could probably find me it's lone drummer i believe on instagram it's lone drummer with one m and uh, just or just type in Lone Star drummer drummer for Lone Star and you'll probably see my name or you'll see me come up. So you can feel free to ask me questions or send me like a direct message, DM me or whatever you want to call it, and send me your questions. I'll be glad to answer. I've been on the road making a living playing drums for 40 years now. This last April marked my 40th year as a professional drummer. So I will tell you, if you have a question, I probably have an answer because I've been doing it for so long. Um, so uh, let's see the next question. Uh, what's a good brand? Oh, sorry. This is from Claire. Claire asked, she asked, what is a good brand of earbuds for drummers? Ear monitors. I think you're talking about earbuds like headphones. Okay. So we used to, years ago, we used to use, and I think some of the guys still do, um, I think they were called, I think Sure makes them, and also Ultimate Ears, UE, um, Ultimate Ears. They make some great ear monitors, but I will say personally, uh, they're a bit on the pricey side. Um, the last time I went to go had my ears, um, uh, like a mold made of my, of my inner ear and all that. Um, by the time I got that done, plus the 
ordered my ear monitors, which basically they, they send the molds out to California um, to be made into these ear monitors, and they put the little whatever kind you want, you know, the really good quality sound um, drivers inside those ear monitors that fit perfectly inside your ear. And I think by the time they were like a thousand dollars or thirteen hundred or something like that. Uh, that and so if they ever break or the cord goes bad or something like that, I think the cords were like eighty dollars a piece or something. So I was at the drum store. I was at at Forks Drum Closet in Nashville, and I just saw some little earbuds under the counter there. And I think I was right in the middle of another one of my Ultimate Ears uh, cords going out. They go out pretty often. And they're like $80 a piece. So I was in the middle of that crisis of like, oh, God, my ear, my cord went out again. I'm only hearing one side. So I had to order another cord. I was right in the middle of that drama. And I had seen those ear earbuds at the drum store. And they were only like $150 down there. And I thought, $150 versus $1,300? I'll, I'll try that. And I asked the drummer, I said, have you tried these? Do they sound good? And the, the, the drummer behind the counter, the guy there at the Forks Drum Closet, said that he used the same company he said he i don't know if it was the same company or the same brand or whatever if it was different but he said here's the ones i use he goes i really like these and he gave me the name of them they're called kz uh, is the name of the company kz they're out of there i believe they're made in china i think that's right but they have a website and i'll give you the website here in a second but the the ones that i found that are the, the ones that drummer told me he said the ones i use are the zsrs ZSR from KZ, and you can look them up on kztws.com, kztws.com, um, and they were get you okay. Get ready, ready, thirty four dollars, thirty four dollars. Now they're not custom molds, but they're they're the generic earbuds with the rubber thing. But I thought I would try them, and I ordered two pair. Because $34, that's cord and everything. You can't even get a cord uh, for the Ultimate Ears for less than like $80 or $90. Um, so I ordered a pair, and I absolutely loved them. They have six drivers inside. They're very powerful. Now, I will say that they don't last forever, and that's why I ordered a couple of pair. I thought, well, if they're not that durable and they tend to blow out or go out or something like that. My problem is I sweat a lot when I play. Um, it's like a workout for me. And so they get, they do get soaked pretty good um, from sweat and that kind of thing. So uh, after a while, they will either get corroded or they'll go out or something like that. So I usually order two pair at a time and they're awesome. They sound great. They uh, fit right in my ear and they have that little cord that goes over your ear that holds it in place and all that. They're, for, you know, for me, for all practical purposes, they are professional grade. Uh, drummers ear monitors you know for live and I love them I absolutely love them the cords are strong and and uh, you know they're very robust and they sound good and they're only $34 for the ear monitors and the cord and everything and you can also order them with a microphone or without a microphone if you want to use them on like say your your cell phone or you know your phone or something like that and you want to or plug it into your computer and use the microphone in, that comes with the cable. You can either order it with or without. I just ordered it without because I didn't need the microphone. I was going to use them on stage, so I didn't need that. So it just plugs right into my little earbox and or my little where I plug in, and I hear perfectly, and I hear the click track, and I hear my drums sound real good. And I thank you to whoever that was at Forks Drum Closet 
that uh, turned me on to the KZ ZSR headphones. I really appreciate it. It has changed my whole uh, onstage experience from like fear that something was going to go out in the middle of a set and I was going to have to order another $80 pair uh, of cord, the cord that goes on there, or heaven forbid, another $1,300 set of ear monitors. Oh, thank God. Well, I think they had a deal where for five, uh, for 100 or 200 or something, they would fix whatever's wrong. But they're in California, so it takes like a week to get there and back and all that kind of stuff. So I just order, you know, for much cheaper. I can order three or four pair of the ZSRs from KZ, and I'm good to go. So that answers that question. Those are my favorite earbuds. Um, okay, so the next one from Luke, it says, can a drummer be a songwriter? And I think what you mean is, well, of course a drummer can be a songwriter because look at Don Henley and Phil Collins and those kind of people. Um, they're good drummers, and I'm sure they play other instruments too. But say if you're a drummer and you don't play another instrument, can you be involved in a songwriting session? Can you co-write with some people? And I would say definitely yes. And here's the way I would do it. Um, and I've done this before, is you do a little prep before you go into a song writing session. And a lot of times in Nashville, you will sit down with two or even more, you know, one or two or three other writers, and you sit in a room, you throw ideas around, and uh, somebody has something that they bring to the table, and you try and expand on that, and you play a little bit and go, what if it does this? And you talk about lyrics, what could the song be about? So here's my uh, advice to you as a drummer going into write with somebody, or if you're going to a songwriting session, come to the table with a song idea, a beat. In other words, what that beat is going to sound like. You know, it's like um, so if it's like, uh, you know, so if, if you just have like... Something like that. That's your beat. Uh, I think it should be that. And your song idea, in other words, you have a song idea. You have a, uh, it's, it would sound a lot like this, or it would have this uh, kind of an easygoing, um, jung, 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 like beat. And then also a basic storyline, like come up with a fictitious title. And that sometimes the title can tell you what the song is about a lot of times. You know, it's the cover of the book, let's say. And so you come up with a, a storyline of, and it could be anything. It could be um, you're just in, having a great day and you're just enjoying being you know, free and you're uh, called best day ever or something like that. So let's just throw that out there. Best day ever. I think when you talk about that, you, that's a very positive song and it, it's not a, I'm crying and I'm crying because I lost, I lost the, my girlfriend or um, I'm, I'm lonely or whatever. It's a happy song. You know, you come to the table with a song idea and that will kind of, I think that you've probably uh, taken over a lot of the work that those other writers are going to have to do, which is coming up with what's the song going to be about? What's the beat going to sound like? What's the whole idea for the song? So you come to the table with the whole idea and let them fill in the chord progression, maybe a couple of the lyrics, and then you can start from there. It's a good springboard from that. And you're the one that came to the table with the whole idea. So you've definitely contributed uh, probably about 60 to 80% of what that song needed, which was an idea, 
a, like a beat, a feel, a groove, whatever, and then a basic storyline and maybe even a title. You know, you could come to the table with a title and they may, they may say, oh, yeah, I like that title. That's cool. Let's go with that. And then the next thing you know, you know, the song is just writing itself. You know, they're just like playing stuff. And they go, yeah, that chord progression sounds cool. Try this other thing. And what, what's the bridge going to sound like? You know, and you just pretty soon you get a pretty good groove going and then the song is written. So, yeah, um, that's a good way to do it. And I hope that answers your question. Or if you do um, have a keyboard or a guitar or something like that, learn some basic chords. A lot of times some of the simplest songs have the most basic chords. Think of Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. That song is so simple. It, it almost just plays on the one. I mean, it almost just stays on that that one with just a little bit of playing around on the guitar. And uh, it's just the idea of the song, you know. Money for nothing, chicks for free. I mean, it was probably something somebody said that just struck him and he started jamming along with it. And that song was written in, I'm sure, no time at all. Anyway, um, so, you know, Learn a couple chords and learn uh, maybe on a guitar or something like that. You can you can get a guitar and tune it to what they call open tuning, and that's where when you play a note, when you just strum the strings without touching any of the frets, then it makes a chord. It makes a note like a an E or a G or something like that chord, and then you can just like move your hands up and down the frets using basically just one finger all the way up and down the fret, and you've got kind of a basic chord progression. That's what I like to do. It's just an easy way. I do play guitar, but that's an easy way to sort of just play a, an easy chord progression or something. Set it to open tuning and come up with a song idea and just start playing with some chord progressions. That's a good way to do it. Okay, so the last question here I have is from Jordan. And I've been talking to Jordan for quite a while. He's a young drummer and he's out of Missouri. And he's, um, we talk back and forth a lot. He has a lot of questions about certain things, about sticks and cymbals and things like that. And uh, I do my best to answer his questions. And uh, he sent me a question here. He said, what do you like about playing drums? And even more than that, what do you like about playing drums with Lone Star? Drums for Lone Star. So, uh, okay, I'll do my best to answer that. And that's an easy one because I love playing drums. Um but what do I like about playing drums? What's more specifically, what do I like about playing drums? Uh, I'll answer that first. The best thing I like about playing drums is playing a groove, being back there and being kind of like a drum machine in a way. Not a drum machine in, in a boring way, but a drum machine in that I can lay down a beat and it makes people feel a certain way. You know, when I when I play a groove and it's just a, you know, it's like, um, let's see, it's like, um, it's like, so if I just kind of, you know, like. I can just keep that steady beat and then people want to play to it. People want to react to it. They love it. And uh, I can play just about any beat at all. And, and I'll see our lead singer kind of like playing something with the guitar or kind of moving his head, nodding his head a certain way. Like it's just like it affects people, you know, when you play a beat. And like when a song starts out with just the drums i love it you know and that's probably one of the best ways to start out a song is with a drum beat because it does a couple of things it it lets the audience know that well okay wow it's going to be a song here in a minute there's something's going to be start i don't know what it is and there's that surprise element of unless it's something like walk this way or 
uh, take the money and run or something like that where it's very recognizable beat but if it's just a straight beat um, you're playing that tempo it also gives the other musicians in the band a chance to kind of like get set and get ready and then they can count it in if they want to or you can count it in or whatever you can talk to the audience and not be just dead time dead time is just when nobody's playing anything and you're just talking to the audience or whatever and there's just like nothing going on um which is fine a lot of bands have that and and there's nothing wrong with that but um i don't know i've always felt like uh you come there to see a show I, you, something should be going on like almost all the time something some kind of intro um and sometimes you could take a little break and talk to the audience for a minute that's cool too but some of the best songs that we do start out with the drum beat and then the rest of the band comes in and when the rest of the band comes in there's thing happens where the audience finally figures out kind of what the song is it's like oh they're doing that song okay i get it now and it's kind of this moment of like discovery of like oh that's what that drum beat is going to go to and then you play the song it also does a thing where the band you're establishing the groove sometimes when you start off a song cold and you just go one two three four and the whole band comes in it takes a couple of measures for the the groove to settle in to where into the pocket you know and when you start a song out on just drums which I, that's one of the things i love about playing drums to answer your question is when you start a song out with just the drums you're giving the drummer a little bit of, you know, like, hey, you know, he's back there playing. He's cool, you know. And then uh, when the rest of the band comes in, the groove has already been established and the pocket is there. They're just falling into it, you know, into what you've already laid down. And they're just um, they're just fitting right into it like a glove. So it's, it's easy on the band and uh, it's fun to play. It's fun to do, to lay that groove down and, and establish the groove before the rest of the band comes into the song. That's a great way to start out a song. I don't think all the songs would sound good started out that way, but uh, definitely that's a cool way to do it. Now, uh, the second part of that question was, what do you like about playing drums for Lone Star? And I will say one of the things I love about Lone Star is that uh, the guys, you know, my friends, my buddies, my business partners, my we're like family. We've been together so long, we can almost finish each other's sentences, and we know the kind of music we all like we we have we're kind of kindred spirits and we've survived a lot together you know we've been through a lot so when we get up there just during a sound check or if we're just jamming if somebody requests a song some kind of thing or if we're just goofing around we play and we play together really well even if we don't know what we're playing it still comes off like we know what we're playing just because we've been playing together so long and i love just getting up there on stage and the crowd the way that they cheer because they're there to see us and they're there to hear their favorite Lone Star songs. We've had 10 number one songs over the years that, that have actually certified number one songs, plus other songs that that may not have gone to number one, like Tequila Talking. It made it up to, the, I think it was a top 10 song, but it never actually made it number one. People remember that because that was our very first release that we ever had. And uh, although a lot of people back then didn't know who we were when they heard that song, but they knew that song. And when we played Tequila Talking, uh, they knew, oh, you're the guys that do that song, you know. Um, we had a lot of radio success and had won some awards and things like that. So it's definitely a, a fun ride, and we're still on that roller coaster. With when COVID hit, uh, that was a tough one, but we all hung in there. Nobody, nobody retired. Nobody quit. Nobody. Um, well, Richie went on his own way, which I think he'd been wanting to do for a while. He'd done it before, and um, he went. 
and did did another gig, and we got Drew Womack, who we absolutely love, and he's he couldn't have been a better replacement at that time uh, because you know Drew, we've we've known Drew since the days before Lone Star, you know when we all played clubs in Dallas, Texas. And uh, Dean and Michael and myself, we all played all those clubs in Dallas, Texas, and uh, you know made our living doing that before we all moved to Nashville. And Drew was a part of that. He was he was one of those guys that was slogging it out in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and that whole kind of live club business kind of dried up a little bit. And um, you know, uh, everybody kind of moved to Nashville. There was probably about forty or fifty of us that were in the Dallas Fort Worth area or that grew up there or that played all over Texas, San Angelo and Abilene and uh, Fort Worth and all that. Um, And uh, somehow we all converged in Nashville and we all kind of got with country artists and, or we got record deals or whatever um, and had a certain amount of success. Trace Atkins was one of those people, you know, he had a band in Dallas called Bayou and he was a lead singer for that band. And he moved to Nashville and got a record deal almost immediately because um, he's such a great singer, always has been, um, a lot of people. Uh, so I enjoy being the drummer for Lone Star because it's like a family. We get along really well. We laugh. We have been through some ups and downs together, and we've stuck together all these years, Dean and Michael and myself, and now Drew. Drew is uh, just as big of a part of Lone Star as, as uh, any one of us. You know, He's one of us. He's, he's our brother. And uh, we take care of each other out there. And it's just such a joy to get up there and play drums with the band. And the way Michael plays his guitar, the way Dean plays his keyboard. And now Dean's playing guitar. You know, I guess he always has a little bit playing acoustic, but he's playing electric guitar now and all that. And, uh, you know, it's just, we just have a groove. We have a sound. And I guess, I guess it's the Lone Star sound. When you hear us, it sounds like Lone Star, I guess. Um, it's hard for me to say that because I, we just sound like us, you know. I don't really know that there is like a Lone Star sound, but apparently there is because people have said that before. They're like, "Yeah, it sounds like Lone Star." Um, so yeah, I love getting up there and playing our hits and uh, playing in front of all the folks that come out to see us. And I'm very appreciative of all the people that are listening to this podcast and that come see our shows. I hope you'll continue to do so. And I hope that I answered some of the questions here um, that I've gotten. And if anybody out there has any questions at all, please direct message me or um, send me a message. On I also have I have a Facebook channel or a Facebook page or whatever you want to call it, um, and I believe it's just Keach Rainwater. So you can message me there. You can message me in. Uh, I think I have a YouTube channel now. I think it's uh, Lone Drummer as well. It might be Keach Rainwater. I can't remember what the name of my own YouTube channel is. I don't post that much stuff on YouTube, but I would like to start doing more uh, things on YouTube. But just look me up on there, and I'm sure you'll find me, Keach Rainwater, on YouTube and uh, find some drum things on there or whatever. You can feel free to ask me questions on there. I get those, too, because I get alerts for that. Um, and Instagram and that kind of thing. And just ask me any question you have at all uh, about drumming and about, uh, being in a professional touring band or recording in the studio or, uh, dealing with record deals or record companies or anything like that. Um, definitely let me know. And if there's any information you may have about that I can learn from about streaming or about this new music business that we're in, you know, where everything is kind of like Spotify and, 
uh, Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. Uh, if you have any suggestions or uh, things that you would like to see me post on Instagram or TikTok or anything like that, please let me know and I will do my best to do it, answer them or listen to what you have to say for sure. I appreciate everything. This has been Keach Rainwater on Designated Drummer and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time. I don't know who I'll have on next, but hopefully it'll be somebody big and famous and interesting and um, you'll get something out of it as I always hope you do and I hope you're happy and safe and you stay cool during this hot summer we're having and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.